electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. I'm Scott Wapner, and you're listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast, the most profitable hour of the trading day. We record this live weekdays at 12 Eastern. Listen in. All right, Carl, thanks. Welcome to the Halftime Report. I'm Scott Wapner. Front and center this hour is your money on the cusp of a correction after another read on the American consumer badly misses expectations. If the Delta variant is causing a slowdown, how long does it last? What does that mean for stocks? We debate all of that with the Investment Committee. Joining me for the hour today, Stephanie Link, Josh Brown, Joe Terranova, Jim Labenthal. Take a look at where stocks are right now. As Carl said, they are weaker. They've been so throughout the entire day thus far. The Dow's down 337, nearly a 1% drop. NASDAQ's off one and a quarter percent. Retail sales, as we said, was weak. Jim Labenthal, Delta variant's causing a slowdown. It's undeniable. The real question is, how long does it last? You're Mr. All-In, and you told me yesterday you were starting to get nervous. Are you more nervous today or not? Yep. Uh, I'm the same level. I mean, the, the retail sales number really should not have been a surprise after the consumer sentiment number on Friday. So what I was trying to say yesterday, and I'm going to be consistent today, is that I'm not being blasé. I'm not being casual about the Delta variant. What my belief is, and it's based on the Anthony Fauci's and Scott Gottlieb's of the world, is that this Delta variant will peak sometime in mid-September, maybe late September, and then tail off. The key element here is vaccines and hopefully the resurgence of COVID-19 is going to continue to provoke people to get the vaccines. But that's the big difference between where we were a year ago when we didn't have vaccines. And so my nervousness then would have been more pronounced and might have had me take some chips off the table. It's my pretty strong belief that vaccines are a cure for this. It's my equally strong belief that the, the uh, Delta spike does kind of slow the Fed down a little bit. I know we spoke yesterday about them starting to turn <clears throat> towards tapering at the end of the year. Year, but I think they've got to look at this Delta variant. They've got to look at retail sales. They've got to look at consumer sentiment and say, whoa, Nelly, let's just let's just wait this thing out a little bit longer and see how it goes. So, Josh, so when you take the combination, one more thing, I just want up. to say, yep. you know, you do have what looks like infrastructure spending coming. I mean, there's there are things to be positive about this economy. All right. So, Josh, Barclay says, quote, we see limited upside for equities from here as the spread of the Delta variant has increased global macro risks. Morgan Stanley cutting GDP forecast today, albeit slightly, 6.5 from 6.9. Some are asking, is, again, is this as good as it gets? And if it is, do stocks need a re-rating as a result of that? So if you, if you think about past periods of time where we had a very strong rebound off the bottom, and by the way, we've just had the fastest double for the stock market in history. When you think about... 2010 versus 2009, as like one example, um, you, you got into a situation in the summer of 2010 where stocks started to sell off very violently, I might add, into August as people started to worry, okay, this is as good as it gets. The economic recovery off the lows in 09 was really fast, too far, too fast. Uh, valuations, blah, blah, blah. That was like one of the most viable, obvious, obviously viable dips of all time. 
And had you done that uh, after that huge rebound during that consolidation period where the recovery was in doubt, you did very well. I think I think the market was like that. That was eight or nine thousand at that point. Um, That's just one example of others that I could cite. I think it's really important that we just think about this year as a year where we consolidate a lot of the gains that we've already seen. So if the market were uh, to finish right here, it would be one of the best years of all time. I accept the, the, the premise that Delta could cause another correction or a dip, 5%, 8%, 10%. Sure, why wouldn't that be possible? That could happen without Delta, I would add, by the way. So like, if, if that's your, your max pain threshold, right? you can't hold stocks down 5 or 10%, arguably you're just in the wrong asset class because stocks will do that, and it would be very garden variety for us to see that. My personal opinion is we're going to get a lot of this Delta stuff out of the way on the timetable that Dr. Gottlieb laid out. I think the vaccine rates in areas that are hardest hit are, are now rising at a very rapid clip. I mentioned the Delta variant as being a silver lining to push people who are on the fence to go out and get vaccinated. And I think this fall, this winter, I think we're set up pretty nicely. The consumer is still very strong. A lot of the stocks people are worried about, Home Depot, this thing is 4% off an all-time high. Like, what do you want, right? This is a stock that's, that's almost tripled, and, and it has a pullback because the news was really good, just not explosively good. Like, I think we need to get out of that mindset and focus on the big picture. Well, the big picture is corporations are doing massive buybacks. People's bank accounts are flush. People are going back to work in record numbers. There are job openings as far as the eye can see. Rates aren't going anywhere this year. And if you keep those things in mind, it's really hard to get overly bearish and think we're going to experience something way worse than a garden variety pullback. I mean, Steph, you could look at Home Depot, and I'm sure you're feeling good that you got out of it when you did, even though you, you left some money on the table on the upside. The, I mean, you could raise the issue of whether the DIY trade and that's what our Robert Hum on our news desk and our markets team has sort of put out there today. If you look at some of the stocks like Sherwin-Williams or, um, you know, so, some, some of the other names, uh, PPG, excuse me, that's the one I was trying to think of as well, al- along with Sherwin-Williams. You could say maybe we're at peak DIY or peak <clears throat> things that you do at home or maybe stay at home. You look at the performance of some of these other names and you do wonder about that. I mean, Home Depot It's not about what happened. It's about what's going to happen. And if you think that that whole trend is going to slow, then maybe those stocks need to be re-rated, too. Well, I don't own very many housing uh, themed names. Uh, Stanley Black & Decker is the only one that I uh, that I own. It's kind of a special situation story. Look, Home Depot is in a lose-lose situation, right? I mean, the stock is, has just had a tremendous run, really high expectations. Comps last year were in the, in the, in the same quarter last year, were up mid-20%. I've never seen such a thing, right? So really high expectations, really tough comparisons. And yeah, housing is definitely taking a breather. But I would say housing is taking a breather because there's no supply, and certainly affordability is on the rise. I mean, home prices are up median about up 18 percent. So I respect that. So that's why I don't own, though, a lot of housing names, because I think we've seen the peak in that, in that particular part of the market. Right. But let's just step back for half of a minute. And I don't have an answer for Delta. I listen to Dr. Gottlieb and I look at the U.K. cases and I look at India and, and those cases are coming down. Um, I have no idea about that. But what I can tell you what I do know is we should embrace the taper talk. 
There is no real need for emergency policy. The economy is on the mend, more than on the mend. I've been talking about economic data points forever. And yeah, I get it. Retail sales were disappointing. They're still annualized up 5% on the year. So if you think about the consumer still healthy and the job market, very, very broad base, and that has positive implications for GDP growth and the sustainability of GDP growth. Right. Productivity well, is on the rise because led by CapEx. No, no, wait a sec. Hold a sec. And on. that's driven by labor participation, right? And we have 10.1 million job openings out there. So I think we just have to step back, embrace taper, because we can handle taper. And in in fact, you know, I think you make your shopping list because we know seasonality. This is not a great time in the market. Right. And it goes until September. Make your shopping list. Have some cash on the sidelines. Certainly do not panic by any means. I mean, look, Jonathan Krinsky just dropped a new note literally moments ago. He's going to join us later in the program, and it relates squarely to what we're talking about today. He addresses whether to buy the dip or not. I'll leave you hanging on that until we get to him a little bit later on. But his (laughs) note just dropped, and we like to focus on him because he's one of the most closely followed technicians on the street. Joe, what if I said this is as good as it gets? It's as good as it gets for the economy. It's as good as it gets for spending. The virus news for a while is as good as it gets because now we've got to contend with Delta. And it's as good as it gets from a liquidity standpoint, too, because the Fed's going to taper sooner rather than later. So it's as good as it gets. If that was the base case at this point, how does your investment thesis, your idea, how does that change, if at all? So you go back to the 2010 playbook, because that's exactly what happened. QE1 ended March 31st of 2010. The economy peaked in the second quarter of 2010. What did you do with that information? The same thing that you should be doing now. You should be moving away from high beta, low quality type of exposure towards higher quality exposure. Yesterday, the SPY took in $6 billion. That's the largest inflow since November 9th of 2020. Why did it do that? Because relative to the rest of the world, The U.S. large cap equity market is viewed as the highest quality, the safest haven, the ones that has the strongest earnings growth. Look so far quarter to date. Where are we seeing on a sector basis the outperformance? It's in healthcare, up nearly 9% for the quarter. But it's not biotech. Biotech is down 10% for the quarter. Look in terms of an equity size class. Small caps are down 6% so far in the quarter. Large caps are higher. So I think it's the 2010 playbook. It's looking at the value trade and understanding you want to position towards financials. You want to move away from commodities, which are highly debt laden. Apple, Microsoft, they're near their all time highs. They're clearly defined as quality. And I think that's the way that you are allocating in an environment where, Scott, I agree with you. Everything that you defined, I think those are the characteristics that an investor right now has to be observing. Risk is the primary word elevated in your investment language and utilize that to ensure that if we do see this downside correction, that you're at least positioned in a way that you could soften the blow. I mean, I also feel like, Joe, that people are so quick to try and dismiss what's happening with the Delta variant. They, they look at the UK and say, see, it's going to peak here quick and then start going down just like it did there. It may 
peak. It may have peaked already in the South. But even Dr. Gottlieb, who everybody cites always, and for good reason, because he's been right the whole way, suggests <coughs> we, we don't know what's going to happen with the Delta variant in the Northeast, because it hasn't really come here in great numbers yet. We don't know what's going to happen in the Midwest, the Pacific Northwest. Everybody just assumes, well, it's peaking in the South, so that means it's just peaking everywhere, and then it's going to peter out, and everything's going to be all awesome. Uh, we just don't know. And that's a big issue for the market when it comes to the trajectory of the economy in the next, let's say, three months. That's that's very accurate. And I think that also describes an environment where consumer behavior might begin to moderate or change. Let's understand that this has been a consumer driven economic recovery. We've been waiting for there to be a handoff to the industrial sector. We have not witnessed that so far. Uh, We need the consumer to stay resilient. We need the consumer not to embrace frugality. There's no sign that they're doing that. But in an environment, as you're describing, I think behavior would tend to move Well, I mean, there's a little sign they're doing uh, that. There's a little sign we're doing that. What do you mean? I mean, consumer confidence was pathetic. And the retail sales number today was a miss. Now, they're one number, okay? You're not, I'm not going to say, well, that's changed the whole story before Josh starts screaming at me that it's just one number. But what are you comps, Judge? They're important numbers. Judge, Judge, I'm not screaming at you, but you're, <laughs> there he goes. you're comparing. Not yet. That's why I had the I'm disclaimer. I'm not screaming at you. <laughs> I love you. Scott, I love you. I'm not screaming at you. But your, your comps are all-time record highs in these measures. They're not real. They're not. They're not the, the, you're not comping against averages for things like consumer confidence. You're looking at literally the comp versus a euphoric moment when we thought like the worst of COVID is behind us and fresh off that second round of stimulus checks hitting people's bank accounts. Those are tough comps. There's a very legitimate argument to be made that things are as good as they get in things like retail uh, versus the March quarter when we had that second round of checks. Uh, and 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 everybody got flushed with cash all at once. So maybe we pulled forward some retail activity into Q2, uh, and now Q3 won't look so hot, or into Q1, and Q2 wasn't as explosive a comp. That's very fair. We're also comping against last year as things started to improve. Like, I'm not saying people it was good, but people were doing more in August of last year than in April. And so we're comping against big growth numbers in a lot of metrics. So I just feel like being able to think in larger increments than how are things today versus yesterday becomes very important at this part of the cycle. Hey, I'm thinking I'm I'm really thinking, Steph, I'm thinking of not so much how are things today versus yesterday. I'm trying to think about how are things going to be a few months from now versus today or a few months ago, not day by day moves. But as good as it gets, has longer lasting implications, especially for certain trades. Steph, let me get you in just a second. Let me get you just a second. I want to just play on that theme for one more. I promise I'll come to you in a second. We cite Home Depot and we say, okay, the DIY trade, if you want to call it that, maybe it's as good as it gets. Something as simple as Roblox, Joe, which you own. People aren't sitting home playing video games, Mm -hmm. right? I mean, I don't know. No. No, the, and, the, and the expectations were, were incredibly high. 
remember, we had that one wonderful video question uh, from from a young viewer in Connecticut who was in Roblox, and I took a small position to be there. I believe in the company. I think fundamentally it has the ability to grow the the active user base, and I think the engagement internationally is whether you'll see the growth. It's been, by the way, so far today, I know we don't like to talk about a one-day move, but coming off of earnings, it has been a very nice recovery so far. So I'm staying with the position, but I think you're correct in the premise that you're presenting. Um, I, I think a lot of the, the higher valuation do-it-yourself type of equity names uh, would be stressed in an environment as you continue to define throughout the show. And I don't disagree with that environment. So I'm not in a lot of those places. I am in Roblox. I'll stay there. Uh, but they certainly don't define themselves as uh, qualitative, do they? Uh, yeah. uh, and if they don't, uh, go ahead. I got you. I mean, the CEO, by the way, is going to be on with Kramer tonight. So you've you got to hear directly from the CEO mm-hmm. and, and hear about sort of what um, that gentleman right there thinks about the outlook. I also note this Michael Burry short of the ARC Innovation Fund is, is interesting. Um, just sort of in the context, and I think, Joe, you were going there, of these higher valuation stocks, a lot of names that rode the wave of the pandemic and kind of the, I don't know, the unknown of where the overall market is going, whether the valuations are just too rich given the environment. And the only case that people generally make is that, well, valuations deserve to be where they're at because interest rates are so low and earnings are going to hang in there. On that note, I come back to you, Steph, and forgive me for for cutting you off uh, earlier. I just wanted to get the Roblox thing in to play the theme out, but it's yours. Well, no, I was just going to make a mention. Um, Joe was, uh, was, I think he spot on on the consumer, but on the industrial part of the economy, that actually is pretty much humming. I mean, Industrial production actually beat uh, today, right? And that didn't get any attention. Inventories are at five-year lows. Pricing power is galore. Um, You just listen to some of these companies, and they're really humming. The the biggest problem is supply chain. That's a problem for every single company, right? And so you have to hope that management teams six months ago figured out they have to have pricing power, and they have to increase pricing. And those companies that did that, they'll be able to weather the storm. But I think consumer is still strong. Uh, maybe not as strong, but still strong. And by the way, retail sales last month got revised higher. Let's not forget that. So consumer strong, manufacturing strong. And we know there's a multiplier effect in manufacturing. I mean, everything's strong. Economy. For every one job. Yeah, everything's well, strong. Well, for one job created but- in manufacturing, for every one job created in manufacturing industry, at 7.7 jobs are created. So my point is jobs are a plenty. And that's going to drive stronger growth for longer, not where we are growth. We are at peak. But I think this cycle has a lot more to go. And that's why I'm optimistic, because that means earnings can still stay strong. The other thing that you pointed out the other day on Squawk, and I heard you the other morning, is pointing out the amount of money that's on the sidelines, too, that is supportive of stocks. Not to mention the fact that you've got a tremendous amount of buybacks and you're only going to get more theoretically moving forward. The the Forecasts point to more optimism on, on that note, Steph, too. Yeah, no, I mean, $4.5 trillion in money market funds is powerful. And I think that is going to be very supportive for stocks and the market going forward. I'm also really encouraged by the M&A. We've seen $3.6 trillion year to date in M&A, and that's versus $3.59 trillion all of last year. So that means CEOs feel confident. CEOs have visibility. Obviously, we're all watching the Delta variant. We, we, I got that. That's the concern. That's the worry point. But all this other stuff in terms of taper and peak growth and seasonality should not be the worry point. That should be your opportunity. 
So let's talk about some moves that you guys are making. And I guess it plays into the way that you're thinking about the overall market. Maybe a lot of it is just stock specific. Joe, you sold Freeport McMoran. So you bought it on April 16th. You sold it on August 16th. Stock, I guess, is down about 3% over that period. So you've traded it a bunch. You just said, I think you said, avoid commodities. Plays into that? Yeah. So... So there, there's something beyond a price stop. There's something called the time stop, and I've been using them for, for many, many years. And you know that I've learned that lesson from Mark Fisher, a good friend of ours. Um, I basically timed myself out. It didn't go over there or anywhere over the course of four months. But let me bring forth an important point with Freeport McMoran. I don't want to be in the commodity trade right now. And the reason I don't want to be in the commodity trade is to the rest of the world, we basically need to say, get your act together. Because to the rest of the world, you know, Steph's talking about strong manufacturing figures. Absolutely. Check the box. I agree. But in terms of an industrial recovery, it's not synchronized. It's not global. The rest of the world is, 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 is trading at such a discounted valuation, but rightfully so, because the fundamentals and the COVID trends don't align there. So the commodity trade has a correlation to that exposure internationally. And I have a very bearish view of where that international hmm. exposure is going to go from the perspective of investment performance and also from the healthcare perspective. Are you still in Cliffs? Cliffs? That's a Jim Labenthal name. What's that? Cliffs I don't have. That's, um, that's a Jim Labenthal name, Scott. I never had Cliffs. Someone keeps talking in my ear as you're trying to answer, so I can't hear what you're saying. You don't have Cleveland Cliffs? I know Jim does. Uh, I thought you got it. I never had also. Cleveland Cliffs. You never had it. Okay. No, I never. All right, no, so Farmer Jim, then you heard what he had to say, Joe did, uh, about Freeport McMoran. Does that impact yep. the way you think about Cliffs? Listen, I, listened to, I listened to him very carefully. Um, you know, when, when I hear Joe talking about the fact that we don't have a synchronized international recovery or global recovery, I think to myself, okay, that's fine. That's priced in. Nobody's thinking there is a, a synchronized global recovery. And heaven help us if we had one. I mean, this actually goes back to your original question. What if this is as good as it gets? I put the opposite to you. What if we get a lot better from here as Delta peaks, people come out of their hiding holes, corporates start traveling again. Okay, Tomley. Uh, uh, infrastructure picks up. Okay, Tomley. Well, okay. <laughs> Okay. I, that I take as a huge compliment. I mean, let's face two things. One, Tom Lee's been inimitably right. I'm mm-hmm. honored to be uh, named with him. The other thing is, in this business, you are far more, far more likely to be right by being a bull than being a bear. Let me tell you something. You can, you can send me to my grave by being a bull. We have entertained the idea and given Tom Lee props on this program so many times I, I can't, I've lost count. And we've also posed the question I have to all of you every day whether we're going to have the so-called everything rally that he has talked about. So we've certainly entertained the bullish side of the conversation over the last many days. And maybe today is the day to entertain the other side, just given everything that the market may have to deal with. I mentioned yesterday this this notion that the market has done this rope-a-dope strategy with all of these things that have come at it, hasn't really gotten hit. Now wondering, okay, is Delta going to be the thing that lands the punch? Is China's economic slowdown going to be that thing? Is it the U.S. consumer that's going to get wary about Delta and cause a bit of a slowdown? It could be temporary. Probably will be temporary. We hope it's temporary. These, these, 
these seem like when we're talking about a slowdown in the consumer over the last month, that seems like a garden variety risk to me. I hesitate to say that the Delta variant is a garden variety risk, but I do have to say this. There is a cure out there, and that makes it a lot different than where we were 12 months ago or 15 months ago, meaning it doesn't strike me as an existential risk. What it strikes me as is something that's going to delay the recovery for three months. So maybe we pause here while this while this wave works its way through us. Again, not trying to be blasé, and there's human no, tragedy I think involved. I, I understand but this what you're doesn't saying. strike me as an economic shutdown. Down. It doesn't strike me as we're going back to an economic well, shutdown anywhere in the world. Because we're not. Yeah. No, that ain't happening. So then it's not a fatal existential risk to the market. It's just the normal volatility that we've got to put up with. And as I said yesterday, and I, I, I think everybody agrees with me, trying to time corrections is an excellent way to destroy wealth. Well, I know, I know Jim Cramer more than anybody would, would, agree, would agree with you on that. And he's made the point most recently as people have been feeling nervous. Stephanie Link, you bought more Cisco. Why so? I did. Yeah. Um, well, I mean, I, I've owned it for a while. Uh, it is basically, I like the valuation. 17 times forward, you get a 2.7% dividend yield. It is a reopen. It is enterprise spend recovering. Um, and I do think we are eventually going to get the enterprise spend recovery. But what has me intrigued is last quarter, they had orders up 10%. Um, they disappointed on margins. And that's why the stock kind of fell uh, on the day. And it's kind of been lackluster since. But the order numbers are so much better than the beginning of the year. The beginning of the year, 1%. So you're seeing momentum on the order side, which confirms the enterprise spend cycle, right? So now we just got to watch about supply chain, because that's where they disappointed last quarter. And we know that they're getting hurt. I think that they have guided low enough. So I like the story. I like the valuation. And I just used some profits in Twitter to put more money into Cisco. Yeah, you made a good call on Twitter. Um, that stock's had a, a great run. You trimmed a little bit. Yeah, I'm still overweight because I do still like the new product momentum. I like the activism. They're buying back stock. So it's just I wanted to right size that position and I needed the cash. So just trim. All right. Uh, let's do this. Let's take a quick break. I got the Krinsky note right here. Uh, he's going to join us in a little bit. Also, check out this mystery chart of one restaurant stock. It's up 40 percent in three months. Bullish call on it now. We're going to debate that if there's still time to get into it. We'll be right back. Old Dominion Freight Line was built on keeping promises. With an industry-leading on-time delivery record and low claims rate, we keep promises better than any other LTL freight carrier because we treat every shipment like it's our most important one, which means we do the little things right so that we can keep our promises and you can keep yours too. That's what drives us. To learn how OD can help your business keep its promises, visit ODFL.com. Old Dominion, helping the world keep promises. B2B selling is tougher than ever, and we feel your pain. If you're struggling to close deals, consider giving LinkedIn Sales Navigator a shot. This sales intelligence platform helps professionals like you engage high-value customers, drive higher revenue, and increase sales performance. Sales Navigator also guides you in targeting the right buyers, highlights key signals such as job changes or which accounts you should prioritize, and uncovers hidden hot prospects so you can find those buyers that are most likely to convert. Fueled by LinkedIn's 1 billion member platform, Sales Navigator gives you the most up-to-date first-party data, enabling you to unlock conversations with the people that matter. Right now, you can try LinkedIn Sales Navigator and get a 60-day free trial at linkedin.com slash halftime report. That is linkedin.com slash halftime report for a 60-day free trial. Let LinkedIn Sales Navigator help you sell like a superstar today. Just go to linkedin.com slash halftime report and get started. 
Welcome back to the Halftime Report. I'm Rahel Solomon, and here is our CNBC News update at this hour. The Taliban says that it will not seek revenge on people who oppose the group. A spokesman saying that all are forgiven, including interpreters, soldiers, and others who worked with foreign powers. The spokesman also pledging to respect women's rights within the framework of Islamic law. We should say that many Afghans and human rights organizations do remain skeptical of the claims in light of the Taliban's brutal reign in Afghanistan during the 90s. NATO Secretary General Stoltenberg is blaming the Afghan government's leadership for the country's swift collapse. He also said that NATO has lessons to learn from what happened in Afghanistan. And on the news, more U.S. troops heading to Kabul to speed evacuations and a discussion with a retired admiral who was involved with the war in Afghanistan for more than a decade. That's tonight at 7 p.m. Eastern. And Iran has accelerated its enrichment of uranium to near weapons grade. That according to a report by the U.N.'s nuclear watchdog that was seen by Reuters. The report saying that Iran has nearly doubled the number of centrifuges being used for the highest level of enrichment. You are now up to date. Scott, I'll send it back to you. All right. We appreciate that, Rahel. Thank you so much. I mentioned that new note from market technician Jonathan Krinsky, dropped just moments ago, joins us now on the phone. They ran the note out to me, said he just put one out. I said, well, we got to get him on. Welcome back. Good to be here, Scott. Thank you. The headline is, don't buy this dip. But why? So the hallmark of this, of this market this year has been this constant internal rotation that kind of insulates the S&P, right? So um, interest rates drive a lot of that. And, you know, when you have a day where rates are lower, you tend to see the NASDAQ and tech names do better and banks and cyclicals do worse and then vice versa, that flips. Um, but we're starting to see that kind of lose some of its luster. Um, we're seeing the weak areas of the market remain weak and even get weaker. So we're talking about, you know, the K-Web, China Tech, uh, the ARC funds, um, the SPAC. So those are areas of the market that, you know, typically have seen decent rotations, um, you know, throughout the year. But the last few weeks and, and even the last couple of months, really, they're just not responding to the upside um, like they have in the past. And then we, you know, we all know about the small caps, and we've we've been giving those the benefit of the doubt. They've been in a, you know, a seven eight month consolidation, and typically those resolve in the direction of the underlying trend, which in this case would be be to the upside. Um, but if you look at the internals of the small caps, even as they've gone sideways, uh, internals continue to break down, and that's typically a sign of distribution. So, um, you know, when the weak areas of the market remain weak and get weaker, it, it leaves fewer and fewer names to do the heavy lifting. And we know the names that we're talking about. It's, it's, you talk about them every well, day. They, they continue uh, to do the heavy lifting, though, right? I mean, the, I, I hear what you're saying, but as long as those names, like, right, Apple hits another new high today, I'm presuming you're talking about Apple among some other names. As long as yeah, those so, stocks hang in there, then the overall market resists this larger pullback. It's sort of the idea of the rolling correction having yet to really impact the biggest stocks in the market. And until that happens, you're kind of on okay footing, even with some turbulence mixed in. Well, this, and this, this really comes down to, you know, what type of investor you are. If, if you're a passive investor in the S&P 500, then, yeah, you just need to watch, you know, five or six stocks. And, you know, as long as Apple and Microsoft and Google are, are trending higher, then the S&P is pretty well insulated. The issue, again, though, is that most people are not just in the S&P 500. Most people are in um, a more broader, diversified portfolio. And a lot of those stocks, again, are not seeing the rotation that they have. And in fact, they're actually getting weaker. And, you know, we, we again, I, I'll use the Chinese tech names for, for 
Um, one example, um, you know, they're oversold and they can't bounce. Um, and, you know, some of the biotech names, XBI, similar situation. It's, it's been weak and, you know, and we ourselves expected them to get a bounce and they just can't happen. So it, basically what happens is when weak stocks get weaker and the market's increasingly reliant on fewer and fewer stocks, on the one hand, it makes it makes breath less relevant to the S&P 500 because those names represent a bigger portion of the index. But on the other hand, and, and you saw it yesterday morning um, when Apple went from green to red on the day, it, you know, it took the whole market down with it. So it's it's kind of a paradox in that yes, it matters less until it matters. Um, and right. I think you know, I think the dip yesterday was interesting because dip buyers were rewarded when they bought the dip yesterday morning. But then today they come in and they they're basically underwater on on those buys. And I think you know that could be the start of uh, of a little bit more of a meaningful correction here. I mean, the 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 point decline looks worse, obviously, than the percentage loss would tell you is really happening within the market. I mean, the, I don't think the market likes your note very much. The Dow's down 385. But again, that's a 1% decline. The S&P 500 is down 1%. That's a loss of some 44 and a half points. If you do think we're on the cusp of a bigger pullback, to what degree do you think we get it? Well, again, if we're talking about S&P 500, we know we haven't had a 5% decline since last November. Um, I think that's perfectly, perfectly reasonable. The 50-day moving average is around three and a half percent off the highs. That's around 43.50. So I think somewhere in there is a starting point. Um, and again, as you know, calling anything bigger than that um, is really just a, a fool's errand. But I think you know, getting something three and a half to five percent off the S and P, which by the way, if that happens, there's going to be a lot of stocks that are off well more than that. Um, but I, I think that's a, a good starting point. I mean, there's always. A, I mean, Mike Wilson was talking about it this morning on Squawk Box. It's, it's imprecise. Obviously, you generally get an overshoot, perhaps either way, when you try and put a target on on something. Joe Terranova has a question for you, Jonathan. Joe? Jonathan, so far year to date, as as you uh, rightfully mentioned, anytime there's a correction, there's been a place for that capital to go somewhere else within the market. If we were to see or experience a mega cap technology correction, where do you suspect the money would go? Would it find a home in some of <laughs> the weaker areas where we've, well, uh, well, is that the best place for it? I, I, I'm not sure, but where we've seen the underperformance, where do you think it would go? Well, I think you're seeing a little bit of it right now, and, and it's going into some of the defensive areas. So, you know, utilities, uh, defensive healthcare, some of the, some of the kind of older mega cap healthcare names, um, you know, some of the consumer staples. So I think on a relative basis, those problems. Again, the issue is I think everyone is so used to when, when FANG stocks do come in a little bit, you know, you see that money going to some of the more cyclical areas of the market. And we're, you know, we're starting to not see that. Um, you know, we're starting to see, you know, places like energy, which I've been you know, on your show discussing, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's oversold and it's not really responding to those oversold conditions. So to answer your question, you know, year to date, it's, it's been a situation where when FANG sells off, you get rotation into cyclicals and, and to some extent, um, you know, the, maybe the reopen trades, but we're just not seeing that. So that's what has me a little bit more concerned. Um, you look at some of the travel and leisure stocks, some of the casinos, again, extremely oversold, and they just can't respond mm-hmm. uh, to, any, to any type of news. You know, it's funny. I look at your note. I don't see anywhere, and maybe I missed it, but at least on the front page under the headline with the principal reasons why you suggest don't buy the dip, I don't see the Fed listed anywhere. 
Um, and that's because the market seems to be well conditioned at this point for a taper, doesn't it? Yeah, and and you know maybe that's uh, maybe that in in and of itself was a concern. I've heard a lot of talk that you know people kind of shrugging off uh, potential taper. Um, so I think you know maybe there's a little complacency there. Um, you know, a couple other things that stand out. I think semis are, are a very crucial part of the market. Um, those have been weak of late. And if you look at the biggest semi in the, in the SMH, Taiwan Semi, you know, that had six to nine months of sideways consolidation, had all day to break out to the upside, and, and it's actually now breaking down below its 200-day um, today. So that's a key stock to watch. Again, if the biggest semi in the world is, is starting to break down, um, you know, that, that concerns us a little bit as well. No, we, uh, we appreciate you coming on with us. We'll, uh, we'll keep track of where things go, and I'm sure we'll have you back sometime soon. Uh, interesting note. Jonathan Krinsky, thanks. Thanks, Scott. All right, Josh, you just want to give me a real quick thought before I bounce to this break on what you just heard from Krinsky? I mean, he's, he's going to get mad at me and email me later, but this, this, this small caps <laughs> as the canary in the coal mine thing is a loser. It's been a loser for 12 years. It's never worked. Uh, all of those uh, small cap corrections, and some of them have been drastic, have ultimately resolved in, in one direction, which is higher, meaning ultimately large caps dictate what happens. The entire Russell 2000's market cap is about $3.5 trillion, which is like Apple plus Alphabet. It's not important. I, I, I really don't think there's econ- any economic read through. I don't think there's a big implications for the largest stocks that control anything. And one thing he didn't say, if we are going to have a rotation, you could do worse than healthcare. It's actually the second largest sector in the market. There's plenty of capacity for dollars to go, plenty of room. Pfizer's chart looks incredible right now. Best chart in the Dow 30. And there are a lot of other names in there that are, that are breaking out too. I own Bristol Myers. So there is room for a rotation into healthcare, specifically into large cap pharma. And those stocks are fairly cheap. So I think the rotation can continue. He might end up being right. Um, but I think there's more to the story than, than what he shared just there. Okay. I mean, he did cite the semis in some other areas, too. It wasn't a small cap centric yeah. discussion we were, we were having. I mean, Sp- were- I mean he, he's, he's using ARC and SPACs. These are tiny stocks. SPACs aren't even in any indexes. Uh, I mean, he's talking like, about Taiwan like Semi, trash, which is most the, of them are. He's talking about Taiwan Semi also, which is one of the biggest weights in the SMH. And he's talking about critical support. With all there. due so, respect, I mean, this doesn't show this doesn't show up on the charts. There's a geopolitical reason for weakness in Taiwan Semi. We're all aware of what's going on with China, their listing requirements, people shying away from Ch- China related equities, which Taiwan Semi is, no matter you know, whether you want to agree or not, mm. it is. So there's more going on there than just the technicals, right. um, which might not be a semi-story per se. It might be idiosyncratic to TSM. Right. But again, we'll see what happens. I don't disagree with him that we could, we could end up back at the, the, the rising 50-day uh, and, and kiss that level to see if there's support there. Perfectly reasonable. All right. It's a good debate nonetheless. Uh, we are looking at a Dow Jones Industrial Average down by more than 425 points as we speak. There it is. That's a loss of one and a quarter percent. S&P is now off 50, 1.12 percent. The Nasdaq's down one and a third. Russell 2000, we were just talking about small caps, down the worst today, almost 2 percent. There's the yield on the 10-year note at 125. Our call of the day is next. It's one restaurant stock surge 40 percent in just three months. One of our investment committee members owns it. Is it in your portfolio? We'll talk about it next. 
In a week when the U.S. government announced the first ever rationing of the Colorado River, two corporate giants announced water initiatives. 3M vowing to improve water quality and efficiency. PepsiCo says it'll be net water positive by 2030, replacing more water than it uses. Over the past six months, Pepsi's up about 18%, 14% for 3M. That's your ESG Fast Fact of the Day. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. edwardjones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. All right, we're back. I just want to update you on the markets now. The Dow is at the lows of the day, and firmly so. It's a loss of 438 points. We just had that conversation with Baycrest technician Jonathan Krinsky suggesting in a new note just dropped during our program today, don't buy the dip is the headline for a variety of reasons, he says. Maybe weakness in small caps. You can see the Russell 2000 there to the right-hand side of your screen. Uh, The last red tile down 2% now. We'll call it that. Just shy of that, down 43 and a half points on the Russell 2000. He pointed to some weakness in the semis as well. Nasdaq's off nearly one and a half percent. That's a loss of greater than 200 points. And there's the Dow all the way on the left, 1.23 percent, one and a quarter percent decline for the Dow this hour. That's a loss of some 440 points. Let's move to our call of the day now. It's Chipotle added to Cowan's restaurant conviction list. That stock's Mm -hmm. up an astounding 40 percent in just three months. Tasting good for Joe Terranova. Joey T, you love this call. How could you not? I I do, and I'm going to be staying with this uh, stock. This is a company that is going to continue to see revenue growth towards 20%. And if there's a concern about valuation, but you're growing at 20%, you're going to be able to ultimately uh, grow into that valuation. So $1.2 billion in cash, no debt on the balance sheet, a focus on digital menu opportunities, and we haven't even begun to restore Uh, the lunch revenue to where it was pre-pandemic, that will ultimately come as we see uh, workers going back and occupying uh, their business workplace. So I I think with the introduction of digital, in addition to the in-store presence, this is a company that you want to stay with for the long term. I think it trades well above 2000. Okay, so how do you respond, though, to somebody Mm -hmm. like Farmer Jim, who would suggest, I'm sure, Joe... I'm riding around on my tractor, and I just can't get my arms around the valuation. It's at 61 times earnings, Joe. McDonald's is at 25. He would have said that, now, he would have said that a thousand percent ago. He's like, now, yeah, Joe, that's great, I don't, but you know what? We are where we are now. I don't own either one of them. I don't own either one of them, Joe. I'm bewildered by this. How do you respond to that? Okay, I, I, couldn't, I, I couldn't hear Jimmy. Jimmy, what would you say? We are where we are now. What? Yeah, I just I just we are where we are now. I acknowledge that I missed this stock. It's factual. It's 62 times earnings. Okay. Three times peg ratio. Okay. And I'm asking you honestly, where does it go from here? Why do I buy it at 62 times earnings? Because Brian Nickel and the management team have come in and they've initiated a platform in which their revenue growth 
is up 100 percent from where it was on the prior 36 months. The company is now growing in the last is that not quarter, reflected the. That is reflected in the current price. If the sales growth and I think this is the problem, Jimmy, why do we assume that that sales growth stalls? Why do we assume that that sales growth couldn't expand even further? Why does that have to be the premise? I don't think we are. I don't think we are do assuming mean? that, Joe. I think with a three times peg okay, ratio, so then, the market so then is value the c- pretty robust growth. Okay, so Jimmy, value the company, 30% revenue growth over the coming next four quarters. Would you say it's going to trade at 40 times earnings then? I, the, the answer is I don't know. And, you know, I'm actually not trying to provoke you. Oh, well, no, you're doing a good say, job. I hey, like it. No, I don't please know that continue. the multiple... Please yeah, but continue. I don't, I don't, here's the point is I just don't know where you go with the multiple from here. It's just that simple. I mean, do you go hey, do you go get hey guys, better, expect, better than expected results and get a 40 times multiple or do you get expected results and go to a 70 times? I'm multiple? calling you an idiot, but I, I'm really not. One, insulting it just seems you. a little difficult to buy. That's why okay. Stephanie Link. So that's why Joe Stephanie Link owns McDonald's at only 25. What is it? 25 times. I can't even read 25 times. Hey, yeah. Jimmy. Jimmy, yeah. Wings, Wingstop trades at 120 times. Maybe you should look at that one. Steph, <laughs> you should short it. You should short it. I'm, McDonald's. Yeah. I mean, McDonald's, is on, it's only up 11% in the year, so it's lagged the broader averages. It trades at 25 times. It gives you a 2-2 yield. They have a great menu simplification strategy, positive momentum from digital, delivery, drive-through. So I like what they're doing, and it acts like a staple, right? So it acts like a defensive stock. If you want a growth stock, that's Chipotle. If you want a defensive stock with a yield, that's McDonald's. That's more my style, especially where we are in the market. All right. We do have a number of stocks speaking of this market on a very down tape, hitting new highs despite today's drop. And one of our committee members is making moves in one of them. We'll reveal it next. All right, we're back. Uh, you do see the Dow is uh, firmly at the lows of the day, down 477. We do, though, have a number of stocks hitting new record highs, including Johnson & Johnson. Why do we mention that? Because not only of the high, but because, Stephanie Link, you bought more. Buy high, hold I, even I, higher. I'm, yeah, but you know what? Ah. It's only up, it's, uh, up, only, only up, thir- up 13% year to date. It's lagged. Pfizer, which is up 35 percent, Lilly, which is up 61 percent. And it trades at 18 times, gives you a 2.3 yield. I like their three prong strategy. Pharmaceuticals, that's been growing mid single digits. MedTech is a reopen play as people get more procedures and their consumer business is pretty resilient. So they're uh, guiding. They guided higher in core growth for the full year. They're now expecting nine and a half to 10 percent growth. So I think it could play catch up. All right. Uh, TMO, Thermo Fisher, new intraday high for it as well. Pharma Jim, that's you. Yeah, another just great company within the healthcare space. And, and uh, echoing Josh's comments, I mean, healthcare is a big part of the S&P. It's also been in a stealth rally mode, and Thermo Fisher is at the, at the forefront of that. Uh, ostensibly, this is COVID testing, but it's a lot more than that. It's drug development. We've got aging demographics. This will be a multi-year hold. Okay. We will do final trades next. All right. Welcome back. We do want to touch you up on the markets. Uh, We're looking at nearly a 500 point decline for the Dow right now. Thirty five thousand one thirty four. That's one and a third percent. Same amount of percentage decline for the S&P, which is showing a loss of 
59 and a third points. NASDAQ is getting hammered pretty well today, too, down one and a half percent. The small caps, the Russell 2000, is off uh, about two percent right now as well. So we continue to keep our eyes really tuned on, on what's happening in the markets. Josh, I know you will be as well uh, for the rest of the day. Yesterday, we had a nice comeback. We're going to have a lot of work to do today if we're going to repeat. Yeah, and, and then I think if you're under the age of 50, like, this is good. You don't want to pay all-time highs for stocks, and you're a four-saver. Like, so your next uh, 401k uh, contribution doesn't get made in an all-time high. That's great. So this bull market started in 2013. We've had 320 days where stocks closed at a record high over the last seven years since then. And that works out to about 15% of all trading days. The other way of thinking about that is, Scott, on 85% of all trading days since this bull market began, we didn't close at a new high. So again, I said this before, I'll say it again. This is a very normal thing for stocks to go down. I know we haven't seen a lot of it this year, but believe me, we will see more of this, and it's perfectly fine. All right, we appreciate the perspective uh, that you bring. You have a final trade before I let you go? I think Joe's going to be right on Chipotle. That stock looks really strong in a weak tape. I like it. Okay. Uh, Joe, on that note, why don't you go next? Edwards Life Sciences, medical devices, focus on cardiovascular breaking out. Okay. Farmer Jim? Another healthcare stock, uh, another cheap one, as Josh was mentioning with Bristol-Myers, AbbVie, 4.4% dividend yield, nine times earnings. All right. And the Linkster? Estee Lauder, I think there's structural opportunities in China, digital e-commerce and skin care. There's a self-help story there and yep. $10 in earnings power by All right. 2023. All right. Good stuff. Thanks, everybody. Kramer's with us tomorrow. Can't wait for that. The exchange is now. You've been listening to CNBC's Halftime Report, the podcast. You can always catch us live weekdays at 12 Eastern, only on CNBC. The spirit of performance defines Acura, and now it's electric. Introducing the all-electric ZDX, Acura's most powerful SUV yet. While what powers their cars may change, the energy that makes Acura never will. Crafted using the same formula that brought them electrified supercars and multiple IMSA championships, the ZDX has track-tested performance that packs an energy all its own. With a premium Bang & Olufsen sound system and up to 313-mile range on a single charge and a Type S variant with an estimated 500 horsepower, the ZDX is everything they said electric could never be. It was built with the driver in mind, just like Acura has been doing since the beginning. We could talk all day, but the only way to experience this electric performance is to drive it yourself. Unlock the energy and order yours at Acura.com.